John 3, 16. Let's turn there. We are ministering on the subject of God is very much in love with me. Let's say it together. God is very much in love with me. Isn't that good that we can say that with a conviction? That we're not uh, saying, I wouldn't want to say that. You know, I've done bad things and I'm not perfect. And I, I, I don't want the Lord to think that I'm in, you know, all that mess, that religious babble. Nope. The truth is he's very much in love with me. He loves me. He's focused on me as if I'm the only one in the planet or the only one that received Jesus because he would have got on the cross just for me or just for you. And that's, that's something, once you boil it down to that truth, you can't get it into your head. You have to get down here in your spirit and say, wow, that's beyond I could ask or think. That's exceeding abundantly above what you could ask or think. Your mind can't process that in the truth. You can accept it in your mind, but when it comes down to uh, having to walk it out in reality, your mind will fail you. So we have to get it down in here. So we're painting this room every week. We just keep painting this room that God's very much in love with me. I want you to notice that most of our lives, all of us across the board, are generally consumed with two issues, I think. One is money. We always are dealing with money or the shortage of it or the need for it or what we would do with more of it. That's an ongoing issue with everybody, pretty much. Even the very, very wealthy that have no need of money, they deal with what to do with it, where to protect it, where to stow it, where nobody can get to it, or how to give it away. Philanthropists spend a big por portion of their life in meetings deciding where to put their money. But the other area is love. If you think about all the things that you and I go through with people that have to do with, do you love me or I love you? A lot of our conflict and a lot of our dreams are based on, do you love me? Well, you didn't, you didn't act like it or you, you're not doing things that show that very good. I'm measuring your love towards me. And you go, well, Take a nap. Take a breath. It, it, what difference does it make? Well, we really want to know, do you love me? It's very important to us, to in people who are in relationship, to measure their love and make sure that we're pleasing them enough to be loved by them. So we're constantly measuring love, measuring it with our children, measuring it with our spouse, measuring it with our friends, and measuring it with our family. Do you love me? And what could I do? How have I offended you? How, how have I walked away from you? How... Yeah, I want to know. I, I want you to tell me what I can do to fix this. So love's a big issue in our life. It's not just like how much money do I have and what am I doing for a living? We want to know. We need to know that somebody loves me. And we wrestle with that. Would y'all think about all the conflicts you've had with people where they did something naughty or indifferent or even mean? And you say, what? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. And here you have this. Don't you love me? Well, then you take that to the God level and you go, well, God doesn't even love me. And the people that have trouble with 
interpersonal relationships, generally the, the root of that, wouldn't you guess, is does God love me? Because if you know God loves you, you care, but you don't care if somebody else dishes you, just says, I don't care about you no more, and you, yeah, you used to be my this, but now I, I don't count you as special. That's pretty hard to take unless you know God loves me very, very much. No matter what I do or didn't do, however I've acted, he got past it. Come on, y'all. He got past it. He got past it, and he said, Boy, I wouldn't do that again. That cost you. Sin always costs you, but it's not with me. I'm not mad at you, and that's really powerful. Uh, most of our life concerning love is spent, I'm just guessing, affirming love. We, we tell our sweethearts, I love you. Baby, I love you. I don't just love you. I'm in love with you. And let me get let me get you another cup of coffee, and let me let me clean out the garage or whatever we do that seems so trite, but it affirms love. Another thing that we do is we prove our love. We show up on birthdays, hopefully. We show up on anniversaries, but anniversary that that's today. I thought that was in August. <laughs> <laughs> You can get thrown under the bus for stuff like that. Uh, we spend a part of our life making up for love where we find out I dropped the ball. I didn't do what I meant to do, what I should have done. Uh, and so I'm making it up. What can I do? Or or we, we go over the top to try to say, I didn't mean that. That's not who I am. It's not how I feel about you. I really love you and let me make it up to you. So we're we're in that. Uh, we all are aware of fading love where people used to be in our life at one level or measure and they got distracted or I got distracted and suddenly we don't call as much or we don't send cards as much or, or whatever. Uh, are y'all aware of this? I mean, it's, it's real. Or we, we, sometimes I stop and say, I want to rekindle something. Hadn't talked to Jojo in a while. And I, he's just slipped my mind, but suddenly the Lord's stirring him up, and I'm going to call JoJo and say, how are you doing, buddy? I've been missing you, and we rekindle that. A lot of our life, if you think about it, how we deal with our resources and our time has got to do with affirming and, and dealing with people that we love. The masses, just who checked you out at McDonald's, you didn't even know what they were wearing. You don't even know if it was a man or a woman. You, it's like, ah, that's not all. But, but in that group where we have got of our attention, we're very involved. And we struggle with it, would you say? At times, we struggle with it. Somebody says, you know, I just don't like you anymore. You were mean to me, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting up with that. We either say, hit the road, Jack don't care, or we say, I am so sorry. Let me fix that. I thought our anniversary was in August or, or whatever. I, how was I supposed to know after 25 years? <laughs> uh, so this consumes our life. Think about how we care about whether people care about us. We, we want to be in good standing with people. And it's rare. I don't say it's Real rare, but it's somewhat rare that rare that a church family would commit to something 
that's volunteer. You just go to the church that you want to and you you stay or you go or whatever, that we commit to relationships in, in a church family that are equal to or even greater than things that would be blood, that would be our family, that we say, actually, I'm not getting along so well with my blood family, but I've got my church family. I told my mother the other day, I said, well, for all that's not and all that should be and could be, I got my church family. And I said, you know, mother, you may not understand that, but it's very, very real and important to me. And that, because uh, she was asking me, are, are, I've got you a burial plot out here in the West Texas town of Seagraves where you can buy a plot for $75 down and $5 a week for five weeks. <laughs> I said, mother, I, I already got one. Yeah. No, you're not, you know, that sort of thing. So you disappoint people with the, with the smallest things. Uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty in our lives dealing with love. That's what hurts us. The ones that we love the most can hurt us the most. And the ones that we don't care about, do, we, do your worst. We don't care because we're walking by anyway. But one thing about it, and that's what we want to talk about this morning, is God, there's no uncertainty. There's no ambivalence with him. There's no uh, hesitation. He's not like, I'm on this week, or I'm having a hormone situation, and, and or I'm having a mood. You know, you just say, of all that people are that I don't like and don't understand, he's for sure. He's for sure. And when people, when spiritual people don't know that, their life is on the shipwreck side of life. Because if you got people like this, and they all are, we all are, you've been mean to people before. I certainly have. Uncaring, unkind. Just, just like whatever. I ain't got time for you anyway, and I was giving you my best part. And if you don't appreciate it, just adios. I mean, that seems terrible, but that's, and you don't say it that way, but that's really how it turns out. Everybody in here has got somebody that they've done that to because we just don't have time for everybody. And I'm willing to take you on if you love me back. But if you ever drop me or kick me to the curb, I got plenty other places to go. And we have that attitude. But one thing about it is the Lord is good. He never has that attitude. But yet religion, 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 the lying religion treats God like he's a man, like he's a person, like he's got attitudes and he's got requirements and he's got a bar you got to reach and a performance you got to match. And if you don't, well, then, you know, we got to talk about this. But I'm telling you, he's not that way. John 3, 16, are you there? It says, for God so loved the world. How much did God love the world? How much? Let's measure it. Is it a little? Is it a little dab? You love me, I love you. Luke 6 says, uh, even sinners do that. You scratch my back, I'll scratch you. Is that, is that how much he loved us? That he gave his only begotten son. Well, that's, what else could you give? What else could you measure it by, son? So that, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, not be destroyed is the word, but have everlasting life or have the life of the everlasting. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, which is the anti-love. Are y'all here? The anti-love. He did not send his son in to condemn us, to judge us, but that the world through him might be saved. 
God loves me. How much? All that God can love. He loved me. He loved a lot of other folks. He loved all of us. Eight point something billion. But he loved me as if I was the only one. And you got to go there. You got to go there because that's the word. And there's a whole life that depends on you and I going there. God loves me. He'd do anything. If he gave his son, how much more shall he freely, Romans says, freely give us all things? If he gave that, in other words, he gave it all. There's nothing left to give, so everything he's got, he would give to you and I. So God is very, very much in love, in love with me. It ought to make you happy. Because he's the guy with all the resources, all the time in the world, all the forgiveness in the world. If you got God on your side, you're really always triumphing, aren't you? Hallelujah. You could even say that he's, uh, what's that song that says, uh, I'm in love with you and nobody else? We sing that song. Well, not we. I sing that song around the house. I'm in love with you and nobody else. Do, 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 do. Well, you could say that about the Lord, that he's in love with me like nobody else. It wouldn't be necessarily true, but for me, it'd be, it's the mostest. He loves me the mostest of all of them because he loves me because of Jesus, not because of performance, not because I was a good boy. I was not a good boy, but he loves me like I was, and he loves me like nobody else. Hallelujah. So, the Lord loves us with no conditions, and that's what makes this love so amazing, this agape love. He loves us with no conditions. You just don't have to do right for him to say, I'll do right. He's going to do right no matter how you do. So that's why serial killers and uh, terrible, terrible people, you go, well, that, they crossed the line, and we could go into them, and I don't even want to describe what these people that are convicted, what they've done, but God loves them. And if you go there in your head, the, the guy on death row that's so terrible and just did so many terrible things, and it's just really going to be good to get him off the earth. Yet, that's our perspective. And maybe we should take him off the earth. I'm not even saying that's not good. But God loves him. And if he gets born again on the way down to the gas chamber, he's going to greet you when we go to that heavenly place. It's, it's amazing. So here's the key. Is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? that he loved us up front. He loved me in advance before I was even born. He said, I, I'm going to write the faith check for Michael. I, I know what he's going to do, and I already don't like some of that stuff, but boy, I love him. He is my good boy. He's my son. He's amazing. He's just my favorite. He's just, I can't wait to see him and talk to him and bless him and have a plan for him that I can help him with. You go, that's not it. He's got to check it out. The Bible says that he, when we're born, he puts our name in the Lamb's book of life. Before we're even born again, before we even say yes to Jesus, he, 
He's a faith God. He puts us in there as if we would receive Jesus. Only when we leave this earth and did not receive Jesus, does the Bible says he blots us out of the Lamb's book of life. So, so he's all in. So the truth is, if God loved us and others that were sinners, how much more does he love me now? I mean, I'm, I'm doing way better than when I was a sinner. Turn with me to Romans, if you would, chapter 2. We've got to get this in us, family. And really, since faith worketh by love, Galatians, where does it say in Galatians? Somewhere in Galatians it says, 5 or 6, it says, faith worketh by love. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What is something is that faith that worketh by love. So if we don't have this love thing down, well, then our faith is not going to work. Because you're going to hesitate. You're going to have roadblocks. You're going to have things that say, well, we got to measure this. we got to look at this and see how it is, and then we'll know whether to attach faith to it. Well, God just says, I'm already in. I already love so much. My faith will always work. And if you will love so much, or if you'll let me love you so much, your, listen, your faith will always work. Why doesn't our faith always work? Because we don't have the love of God shed abroad in our heart. We don't know just how powerful it is. Chapter 2 of Romans, verse 4. Uh, let's go to verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same. He's talking about there's bad people out there, and, and you're one of them. You do the same. You do the same. Do y'all know we do the same? We may point to them and say, that's bad. You are bad. You are so bad. And then we'd have to look at ourselves and say, and you did the same thing. You liar, said the liar. You thief, said the thief. You persecutor said the persecutor. You adulterer, said the adulterer. It's like, oh, where's that going to go? Verse 4, he says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Despisest thou? Are you, are you going to live, are you going to believe contrary to his goodness his long-suffering, his forbearance? Are you going to say for some people when they cross a line or when I cross a line that I'm unredeemable, I'm unforgivable, I'm unlovable? He said, you don't know God. You're operating on man's system, which is revenge, which is uh, uh, where we, we do unto others as they did unto us. He said, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness, the riches, the riches of his goodness, and forbearance and locked suffering. Why would you despise that? Not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. And the word repentance there, you can look it up. It means to change or to turn around and go the other way. So how contrary this is to religion that says that defaults that when you do bad things, God leans on you to get you to change. You, you were bad, 
And so he's going to punish you. The word punish is what they use, that he's going he's to put pressure on you so that you will change your mind about how you act, how you live, how you do. And that's what people believe about God. Well, they said, well, the reason their baby died is because he did a bad thing. And so God just had to reach down and, and have revenge. There's a scripture. I don't remember where it is. I think it's in Corinthians, but wherever it is, that says uh, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. They love, religion loves that scripture. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But what they're thinking is, is God's going to smack whoever smacked you. But that's not what it means at all. It means that God's going to pay back to you what you had coming that someone else stole, that someone stepped in and got, and someone that detoured your blessings. The Lord said, I will repay. I will repay what you had coming. Nobody will be able to take it away from you. Just don't smack them. Just turn the other cheek. Just walk the other mile. Just give them your other cloak and I will repay. Oh, so it must be the goodness of God that leads me and everyone else to change. So that means there's no judgment in the earth. The only judgment in the earth right now is seed time and harvest. You sow bad and bad is coming. It's a judgment. Judgment is not necessarily a negative word. When we get into the reward side of God after the rapture, the Bama seat, judgment seat, means the reward seat. He's going to judge what you did and say, he, he did a halfway job. I'm going to, I'll judge him for halfway and reward him halfway, but he did a bang up job. Here comes a bang up reward. So he said, it's the goodness, God. So religion wants to say the bad things happen to, to good people because they're got a secret sin or that. Even the Lord Jesus, when they said, here's this, here's this son that's, what, what was wrong with him? Uh, who sinned, him or his parents? He was, a grown, he was a grown man. Yeah, blind. Yeah, because that's how they all thought back then. Got an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And that is in the old covenant, judgment. But we, Jesus took the wrath that was destined for us, and he bore it in his body on the tree that we, having died to sin, should live under righteousness. So it's, there's none of that. So bad things do happen because there's a bad devil and there's seed time and harvest. And there's the curse. If you don't live outside of the curse or away from the curse, the curse is out there. The curse of sickness, the cur curse of pain, the curse of lack, shortage and need, and not on time, that curse is out there. So we have to exempt ourselves. It rains on the just and the unjust. Unless you get out from the curse of destruction, of storms, you got to exempt out. We speak to it until it's go around and go over. So don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? Why, why is he good? Because he can't help himself. He's in love with me. And just as if we were able to forgive people that, Lean on us. Sometimes we want to wait a day or six. Sometimes we want to remind them, I'm forgiving you, you sorry buzzard. <laughs> but, but I just want you to know it's not easy. And this, I'm having to do this. You know, we kind of lose our reward when we tell them how good we are to them by forgiving them. <laughs> Something, something's messed up there. But, but anyway, the Lord doesn't do it. He just says, 
let's just pay no attention to that. Who was that woman that... Uh, uh, the, the woman in, uh, that was back in the 70s. She had this real skinny little woman that just... Yeah, maybe it was Kuhlman. But anyway, they would, she was greatly persecuted because she was a woman, for one thing. Yeah, Catherine. And they'd say, ah, Miss Kuhlman, they're saying this and that about you. She, she would always, they say, she said, let's just not pay any attention to that. Pretend like that didn't happen. And it's like, oh, that's living in the love of God and miracles and signs. You know, you'll live above when you, when you release people because everybody can get mad at people. So he says, don't you know? that it's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. So all these religious people that have God mad at people, they're just wrong. They don't know the love of God. They think God is a man, that he loves them that love him. He's good to them that are good to him. In Luke 6, Jesus said, that's, that's even the sinners do that. That's nothing. We've got to get that in us, little family. God's in love with everybody. God so loved the world that he gave to the world. Good, bad, and indifferent. Because we used to be that people that we say don't deserve it. We used to be, every one of us used to be. Because we were sinners before we were born again. Um, so you can see on billboards or church signs, I should say, you know, get right or get left. And... Uh, so trite. Church signs are so trite. I mean, it's just so embarrassing to say, uh, uh, try prayer instead of texting. Oh, that's going to move a sinner. I can just feel that the power coming out of that sign and moving all these lumberjacks going down the road that curse God. And I just see them saying, oh, well, I should pray instead of text. Uh, just amazing. But, but, you see on these church signs and from the pulpits that they want God to differentiate between them that are sinners and them, that that now they're born again and just sending up a storm, just sending up a storm, but but did get baptized, water baptized, that they're different than us and those people, God's after them. And, and if you don't, if, and, and you see it on the church sign, especially right down the road here on 69, there's a huge sign that's got huge letters on it that's always, it's kind of the poster child of religion. <laughs> and you just shake your head. Every time I go to 69 Bear Creek, it's like, shake your head, hallelujah. Um, but they're, 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 all, they're all judgment oriented. God's going to get you. You better get right or you'll get left. Uh, turn or burn. Wow, I should get Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. That's a love relationship, isn't it? That's someone you want to take out. They have the power of destruction, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act nice to them. Well, how, how loving is that to God? How, what's the warm feeling he gets that somebody just wants to miss hell? They don't really want God. They just don't want to go to hell, and someone's talked them into that. Um, religion makes God kill, steal, and destroy. They totally discount the devil. They discount the curse. 
they discount the power of sin, the repercussions of sin, and they make God the kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm telling you, he's not there. That's not him. It's, it's not what he does. Love is greater. And so we should put the love of God up. Well, they, they, won't, they won't respond to the God loves you. But it'd be the truth. And the truth, they would respond to it. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 8? He didn't say, thou adulteress. He called her woman. The same thing that he called his own mother. When he gave his mother over to John at the cross, he said, John, behold this woman. That's, it's the same thing. Uh, the truth is religion doesn't read their Bible enough to know that God loves them. They just listen to the preacher. And the preacher's got an agenda. Fill those pews up. You need, you need it's like the Catholics, if I can say that online. The Catholics, if you do bad things, if you don't, then they can cut you off from communion, from the Eucharist. And if you're cut off from the communion, there's certain things that you can't do if you lose your life. Are you all here? That's why it's a big deal. And so they can have, uh, what do they call that? The sin, the fatal sin, the mortal, mortal sin. If you commit mortal sin, you're on the outside and you better do some Hail Marys and some some shandais or whatever they do and to, to get back in. So it's all about that. And you go, well, where's that in the Bible? That I, They took Hezekiah out of mine. Right, it's in there. Just trust us. We're in there. Okay, we're not going to read it anyway, so whatever you say. So uh, they don't read their Bible enough to know that God loves them. And so they're mean people. And I'm telling you, people that are don't read their Bible and don't know the love of God, they're very legalistic. Because everything is a judgment call. Did you did you sin? Or how close are you to the salvation line? Well, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you're good. Well, what if I do bad things? You're good because the goodness of God is going to keep coming at you until you change your behavior. The new birth is not based on performance. So religious people, if you want to know how to recognize them, they're very cynical. They're always looking at other people. Wow, they, 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 they're, they're a deacon, they're an elder, whatever, and they do this and they do that. And they're very cynical about the church. Well, the church is messed up. Well, that's the truth. But God loves us, so really what difference does it make? If he loves us, we're good. We should do better. We should change. We should, we should line up. But it's not that we're the Antichrist just because we don't do right. Amen. Now, here's the truth, and I just want to visit with this just a minute. Uh, sinners are already condemned. I don't, most of y'all can't remember that back when you were a sinner, but how sinners think are, they're very condemned. They're very aware of this this line that's there that they think is there, that the church has put there. They're very condemned. They, they know their sin. And so they get very hardened and say, well, I'm a sinner and I'm going to hell anyway. And then what follows that statement is, it doesn't matter what I do because I'm irredeemable. I'm not going to be able to be saved. And, uh, but the truth is, the truth, and this is where we've missed it in evangelism and the good news. 
is that people that are condemned are looking for a friend. They're looking for a friend. If you think you and I are looking for friends, the sinner who has no friends except his rowdy bunch that are all condemned anyway, they're looking for a friend. And what does a friend do? What Friends accept you as you are. That's what makes a friend a friend. Nobody, a fair-weather friend is what they call the ones that are just good to you when you're good to them. But a real friend, if you can find one, is someone that says, we'll get past that. Ask. It doesn't matter. It does. It hurts you because sin has repercussions. A friend just says, Let's go, let's go do something together uh, as a friend. And so if Christians are drawn to God by his goodness, how much more would a sinner be drawn to God by our goodness? So it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. But I'll tell you, it's the goodness of Joey and Pam and Susan. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of Susan that leads somebody that she's with to repentance. It's not just like, well, God's booming out of heaven that he's good to me. That's not how it happens. The love of God that's shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, Romans 5, 5, is when we just say, hey, God loves you. Let's go get a Coke. Let's go drink coffee. Well, don't you know I'm a sinner? Loves you. And then the goodness in you leads them to change because you know who they are and what they've done. And you're not saying I'm holier than thou because I'm born again. You just say, I found a way. I was just like you and I found a way. And like Lynn says, no one can take away your testimony. It's the one thing we all have. They may not believe the Bible when we quote it. They may say, that's not true. I don't believe that. But when you give your testimony, of I was I was a wreck, I was going through this and couldn't get that straight. And then Jesus came into my life. That's your testimony, and no one can refute it. And you act like you're a real person like they are, and they listen. The goodness of Rebecca leads someone to change. So if the church was good, if we were not condemning if we loved people that came in and paid no attention to their race, their gender, their age, or their eternal status, wouldn't people be open to receiving Jesus? But they're used to the church saying, you are bad, you are way bad, and we don't, we don't deal, we don't hang around bad. And so they're rejected, and it's on us. It's on the church. People, just as a side note, the reason America is like it is, is not because of evil people. And there's plenty of antichrist. There's a spirit of antichrist that's operating in our federal government and in some states, definitely. But it's, you go, well, those bad people. Uh, yeah, it's our fault. We always had the power to stop it, to change it, to turn it around. But we chose to, the church chose to be religious and uh, we didn't tell them about the goodness of God. So being condemned, they just went their own way. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, if you would. These are sobering things, but they're, they're real. 
And all we have to do, church, is make an adjustment if we need to. Just make an adjustment. It's not like, well, I don't know how to be nice. Sure you do. It's all over you. The goodness of God is in you. It's what you function by. You can release it to other people. In, in chapter 15 of Luke, we, we, see, we see how this works. Uh, the Lord Jesus, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. They were attracted to Jesus because he had a love, God loves you message. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man, man receiveth sinners. And, oh my word, he eateth with them. <laughs> Which tells you, it tells us all, something supernaturally happens when you eat with someone. We like to do it, but it's not just because we love their french fries. Something supernatural. Go, go eat their french fries by yourself. Oh, I don't want to do that. I want to be with somebody. Something supernatural happens. So if you're prosperous, prosperous church, then you're always hauling someone to a restaurant, not because you're hungry, certainly not because you're skinny, but because something supernatural is going to happen over a meal. Jesus did it all the time. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine and go into in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, <laughs> for I have found what I always had, but just lost and recovered. Wasn't like he said, I got 101 now. I found one out there of somebody else's. He said, I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven. Look what joy is in heaven. Over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So that tells us the church ought to just be a place where we like everybody. We're not going to church just to find people that we like. We like everybody. So if you bring a sinner in or whatever, whoever, we don't care what they are, barely born again, we like them because God likes us. And we're sure that God likes us, but not because of what we did. So we have no judgment for them because we know God has no judgment for us. So it's easy to say, let's all get in the pool and get wet together. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, she lose one piece doth not light a candle and sweep the home, the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Listen to that. There's happiness in the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now that goes back to then we should like what God likes. And we should not care much about things that God doesn't care much about. So he might not care about people that are fornicators or thieves or liars in the church. He, he may not care that much about them. So why are we putting up billboards and why are we preaching, you, you nasty thing, if you don't turn, you'll burn. Why, why do we concentrate on that if the Lord's not concentrating? He said, get them in here. Get them in here. And love on them. That's, only, that's the only float you've got, 
out in the lake. Hallelujah. So he said, a certain man had two sons. So one thing we noticed, that the woman would not give up until she had recovered all. That's a lesson to the church. Bird dog. That's the word that comes to mind. Bird dog. We're going to point to the center and say, let's focus some love right here. Yeah, they're weird, and they've criticized us, and they don't want to come, and they say all manner of things about the church, which is absolutely true a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, my. And the younger of them said to his father, Give me, verse 12, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. I looked that up in the New Living, and it says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. That's a good after-dinner conversation. <laughs> Pass the dessert, please. By the way, Father. <laughs> so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I want my share of your estate now before you die. So apparently, back then, the firstborn got the lion's share. Uh, I've read it's two-thirds of the estate. And all the other children had to divide the third among themselves. So if you were firstborn, you were in the driver's seat. But you had to live with mom and dad. They, you know, they, they never left. They had to, you had to put up with mom's cooking when she couldn't see the menus and stuff like that. It, you know, there was responsibilities there. But you got dad's business. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, one version says after he turned his assets into cash, uh, uh, he took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. How about that? Riotous. Don't do riotous living, y'all. <laughs> it doesn't come out well. And when he had spent all there, rose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swines did eat, and no man gave unto him. It's classic. We've all seen it. You're seeing it right now. Every one of us got kin cokes or friends that have had righteous living and they, they passed out and they're at the end of it. And our temptation, wouldn't it be to say, you should have watched me. I minded my P's and Q's and dotted my I's and crossed my T's and you wouldn't have got into this shape. But the truth is, that's what the sinner does. They don't have wisdom. They don't have understanding. They don't, they don't get it. So our temptation is to say, listen, you deserve it. Anybody can see that the way you were going at it was a bad way. And that's what the church has done. You want me to bail you out? Well, what does God want? The Bible says in verse 17, and when he came to himself, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It just gives me a lot of hope that when I, when I look at what people have done, and I've helped them personally, just some people I know, I've helped them, and they say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and then six months later, they are in the same hole or a different hole that's deeper, and you just want, and you go bail them out, and you go uh, literally bailing, literally sometimes. You just go bail them out. You take your money, 
anyway, and you fix them up and you feed them and you give them a, 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 a book on, on uh, maximized manhood and, and feed them and clothe them and all that sort of stuff. Y'all know, y'all have all done it. We've all done it. And uh, you look for that day that they come to themselves. Well, there was a day that you and I came to ourselves. It's called the new birth. It, what, it, it didn't happen before that. You may say, well, I, I lived like a righteous man, but it was a fake. You weren't really, you just were, you were just getting out, staying out of trouble. But when you come to yourself in our, it's new birth. You say, you're saying, I am a sinner and I am hopelessly lost and without means to change my future. And when he came to himself, he said, so you know something is said. We said, I confess with, I confess the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. But in here, it says he came to himself. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to father. That's saying the new birth in an Old Testament I will go arise and go to Father. I will get born again. I will change. And say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he came to himself. Verse 20 says, he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him. See, now there's the church. Compassion. And ran and fell on his neck. I looked up that word fell. Where is that? Uh, fell. Means to embrace, embrace and to press upon. In other words, it was a long squeeze. And the, word, the word says that and kissed him. I looked that up and it says the word kiss there in the Greek means Again and again, tenderly. I'm telling you, that's how God, lo God loves you and me. He falls on us and squeezes us tight, even in the middle of our sin of missing the mark. You go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean myself up, and after a few weeks, I'll go back to God and see if he likes me. No, right in the middle of the mess, he's embracing us, hugging us tight, and kissing us, and kissing us tenderly. I thought that was marvelous. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said, what did the father say? Now here, here's our lesson right here. But the father said unto him, boy, you have messed it up. <laughs> son, we, we've been looking up in the papers and nobody has messed had, No one's riotous living is quite like yours has been. <laughs> nobody stayed in the pig pen that long. Notice he never addressed his past. Love hardly ever notices when others do it wrong. He said, bring forth. So he talked about his future. He said, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. He restored him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat. Everybody was happy that day except the calf, wasn't it? And mama. And be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Remember the sheep? Remember the coin. Now his elder brother 
You can put church in there. You can scratch that out and put church right there. The church, the religious church, was in the field, and he had come now. He came and drew nigh to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he asked one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father, thy father, hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. The word there is exasperated and enraged. So the church is not always happy to see the sinner get the same benefits and the same love that we've enjoyed. In other words, there ought to be a hazing or a, a, a period of proving before you can get what we have. In other words, we didn't stray. We didn't go do righteous things. We stayed here and, and did it right. And he was enraged and exasperated. And he would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. There's the religious church. Neither transgressed I at any time. How many of y'all believe that? <laughs> and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast kissed for him, killed for him, and the fatted calf. And he came to him and said, Son, thou art with me forever, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So the, the son, the church, was not looking for mercy. He was looking for justice. You know, we've got to get a different attitude. If I mean, a better attitude or find the right attitude about the lost. And not be self-righteous because it's just mercy. I'm telling you, it's mercy that we each got born again. It could have gone a hundred ways. Well, I was a good boy and I found Jesus right away. No, you, you just fell in. I think about all the hundreds of ways that I could have missed getting the Holy Ghost. I was a strong Baptist boy and it could have, it could have escaped me and all my religious Baptist friends that don't want that, don't believe in that. I could have been one of them so, so easily. And I'm so grateful to be born again and so grateful to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is such a gift. And that's why I personally am so adamant about not going back and not compromising this message and not saying I'll just be one of them because nobody's against them and nobody presses against them. I am Pentecostal. I am spirit-filled. I speak with other tongues more than y'all. I am pursuing the gifts of the Holy Ghost and a move of God at all costs, at any cost. Because I've been delivered. I've been set free from, uh, from religion. And I, I'm still trying to escape, escape its clutches uh, with thinking of compromise and thinking of, of we could just do this and it wouldn't, it wouldn't rock the boat and it wouldn't make waves and we'd have more people if we'd, if we'd load up. If we'd sing songs that aren't true, that everybody said, well, I like that one. Let's, let's, let's boogie, you know, or, or do things like that. I'm not against anything. But I've been I've just been so blessed that I got called out of that and escaped that and came into this. I'm just unwilling. I'm unwilling to go back and, and go that way. It doesn't it just doesn't matter to me. These things are so precious to me because I was so engulfed and, and grounded in that other. 
And I know now what I have. And there's so much more than what I even have. I want it. I want to know how to heal the sick. I want to know how to prosper. I want to know how to, to walk in the love of God. And, and I want to. And so nothing else matters. So that's why I am the way I am. That's why you are the way you are. Is because we were in the pig pen. And Father killed the fatted calf for us and put the ring on our finger. And so we want to put a ring on everybody's finger and say, come. It's not my club. It's our club. It's, it's the club of the Lord. Hallelujah. So the, the brother was not looking for mercy. He was looking for judgment. And uh, he was mad because he had stayed pure, relatively, and missed all the fun. That's what he said. We never killed a fatted calf for me. We, he missed all the fun. And it was the same for him as it was for the son. They both had a ring. They both had a robe. They both had sandals. And it was no different. Yet I missed all the fun. I want to tell you the fun you missed by not being born again wasn't fun. The world is miserable. They covet. They are jealous. They're envious for the life you have. The life of peace. The life of confidence. The life of wisdom. The life of, of knowing who you are and what you have and what you can do. They, you, you never want to go back and say, well, I wish I could party hardy. No, you don't. It is, it's just one step from the pig pen and destruction. Riotous living is not something that was just back then. We're so blessed. And our job now is to find the one in the ninety, the the one of the hundred, and to find the coin of the ten. Our job is to go looking for that, because it is lost. The sheep is lost, the coin is lost, and the son is lost. And it's our job to come and say, "Got good news. God's not mad at you. He's not. Of course he is. Of course he is. No, he's not mad at you. He he likes you as good as me." As good as Billy Graham. That, that'll throw him back. I love Romans 8.1. We'll quit with this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the man who sins shall surely die. I've been made free. There's no condemnation. Condemnation for what I've done, for what I haven't done. I, I, I certainly, in my personal life, would like to have a little more giddy up. Actually, I'd like to have a lot more giddy up. I'd like, to, I'd like to get more things done. I'd like to be less distracted. I'd like to be more on point. Do you all relate to what I'm saying? I'd like to be more in love with the Word, where I just read it like Smith. Every 15 minutes, we, we broke it open and read it and just pray without I, I, all these things. But I cannot be condemned. I can just be entreated by the goodness of God to repent, to change, to go the other way. His goodness says, let's read the word. Who? Yes, Lord. His goodness said, let's pray in the Holy Ghost for two hours. Who? Lord, yes, let's do it. Let's go find somebody at Walmart and just lay hands on them and just see what happens. See what happens. Oh, yes, Lord. See, that's what I want to do. But sometimes I don't. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you don't. You just, you just go watch National Geographic or something. It's 
John 16, 7, I will end with this. The Amplified says, at that time, listen to me, just listen to me. At that time, the Lord Jesus said, at that time you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying I'll ask the Father on your behalf, for it will be unnecessary, for the Father himself tenderly loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. The Father himself tenderly loves you. He's falling on us and kissing us tenderly every day. Because we could all be prodigal in that we've missed the mark too. You missed the mark? It'd be a liar that says, I never missed the mark. I'm born again. Yes, sure you do. We all do. Isn't Jesus wonderful? He's just wonderful. And that's what, that's the good news is that God loves me very much right now. That is the good news. Well, he'll do this for you. He'll prosper you. He'll pay your bills. He'll heal he'll you sick. That's because he loves me. You can't get healed if you don't know God loves you because you'll always be condemned. Well, I could have done this and maybe then he would have healed me or I could have done this and maybe he would have paid that bill. I don't know why I didn't pay that bill. Well, you, you, you. <laughs> there's a devil, there's sin, there's the curse, there's sowing and reaping. But all of that is swallowed up. But God loves me right now very much. Amen. Let's stand up this morning. Praise God. This is the good news, y'all. This is the good news. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are, is God telling us in four stories, God loves me. The epistles from Acts on tell us who we are. Tell us who we are. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You always cause you to triumph. You, you put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand in the, in the day. All that tells us who we are and what we have. But the Gospels tell us God loves you. Jesus is pointing to the Father who loves us tenderly. So that's our good news. I wonder what I should say to somebody. I'll just say God loves me and he loves you just as much. And there you have it. Amen.